ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, that one guy from Saw, Dino Babers. Clemson is 6-0, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben and Cody. And we're here to recap the most uncomfortable four-score win in recent memory. Clemson takes Syracuse down 47-21. Guys, this was, a, this was a crazy game. I actually, on second watch, didn't think it was that crazy. Um, there were certainly some mistakes in this game. But honestly, to me, I think the reason it may be crazy is because Trevor Lawrence wasn't on his game. And Travis Etienne had cramps. And you take those two guys um, – you know, both at the same time off of their best game. And I think that's what you saw in offense. I thought on defense, on the defensive side of the ball, that we did pretty well all day long. They didn't move the ball um, that often. They scored on some short fields um, and a couple of big plays. There were some busts. But other than that, I thought they played well. The defense really picked up the team with several big plays in the second half. Um, so, yeah, I think the the main reason why we looked off was Lawrence was uh, off – on his reads and his throws and ETM was cramping up, not at hundred percent. Yeah. I, I feel like I agree with you, Ben. I, I watched it a second time and I, I didn't think it looked as bad on the second watch. And then, and what we, where we were, I guess where we had the malaise, as the announcer said, it was seemed entirely to be on offense. And this seems to be something that happens every year. Uh, in previous years, I would say this is like probably the North Carolina game of last year, maybe the NC state game of 2016. Um, and honestly, we, we've lost some of those games in the past, or we've almost lost, and at least we, we took care of business in this one. But, hey, it's, it's coronavirus. It's 2020. I just expected at least one game like this. I hope it's our only one for the, rest, for the remainder of the year. Well, and you we were kind of talking about UVA like it was that game. Right. But well, I was going to follow up on that. Um, you know, this isn't the, the usual Clemson near loss. We don't play well. Some team that's not supposed to almost beats us. Like, same thing with the UVA game. We're beating these teams by three scores. Um, so at the end of the day, it's it's just not the same. These games still haven't been close. So, yeah, it doesn't look good. It was an ugly game. There's a lot of mistakes, especially on offense. Um, the announcers even, it was funny. We were up 10 to nothing in the first uh, quarter and about to score again. And the announcers mentioned then that the game seemed uh, sluggish. So that was, I thought that was really early on. And, of course, I had a little bit of, uh, I guess, bias going into it because I knew because this was on the rewatch. But it was funny to say it at that moment when we were actually looking, about to go up 17 nothing. it looked like, um, and put the game away early. But, um, yeah, the interesting thing was, I think the reason for that is – they played a slow on offense and tell you've mentioned this before you mentioned in the last episode, how do you scheme on offense to beat this Clemson team? And it's really limiting the amount of possessions we have, I guess, and just running the clock and Syracuse was taking 30 seconds between, between plays. Usually I hit fast forward on my remote to get through the plays quick, 15 seconds. The next one's going off. 
I was doing it twice in this game. It was about 30 seconds, except for that one time where they went quick and they beat um, Charleston for that uh, deep touchdown pass. Yeah, looking back kind of at the first half, um, Clemson had, you know, the, the touchdown pretty much a flawless first first uh, first possession after a really great Lynn J. Dixon kick return. And then it was like three and out. Uh, Clemson got the pick, so it was like a short short field, but only gained six yards on that and got a field goal. I think that's probably where some of that sluggish start looked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went up 17-0 Ben on another four-play series. Um you know, then proceeded to have like a five play drive, like not necessarily work out. So we weren't really seeing those long sustained Clemson drives either that, you know, Syracuse was actually eating a decent amount of clock on some of these, like, you know, relatively longer series. I think that tended to happen a little bit, you know, more into the third quarter um, where they were trying to play ball control and keep away a little bit. Um, But I, I think it just amounted to Clemson not having prolonged series um, starting to add up and you know it was it kind of was like like a punt fest there um, for part of the first half well right but again like I when they mentioned it we were was our third drive of the game maybe where we're about to go up 17 nothing in the first quarter yeah um I think to mention it then I, w- I don't think we got sluggish until later I think the kind of pace the Syracuse was going at just kind of drug this game down there was injuries that also slowed the pace and as slow as it seemed we still got off 84 plays on offense yeah, I think another thing for me that contributed to just the feel of the game, either feeling sluggish or that it was behind, on both sides of the ball, I thought Syracuse started this game like out physical in Clemson and, you know, definitely hitting hitting hard. I, I won't call it like headhunting, you know, the same way that we may have seen in the Miami game. I think it was just they came to play. They came to play, uh, you know, tough football. And I think you can kind of say that about coach Dino Babers and just, he, he does get his guys up and ready for this Clemson game every single year. And they do give us fits. And, you know, I think ultimately, you know, Clemson, this is probably the most physical game of the year. If you, if you maybe don't count some of the, some of the stuff happening in Miami. Yeah. Syracuse came to play and which is strange because they're the team that came the distance from New York to, to play. And it, you know, I don't care what anyone says, like the college teams, including Clemson, they have letdowns. And I, I, I just think there's something, I, even as a fan, I wasn't as excited to watch Syracuse. They're not a particularly good team. Like they're abysmal on offense. I have to think that that factors into how the players approach the game mentally. And that's what you saw. I mean, I, I think it's just that cut and dry. That is yeah. what it was. They it's- couldn't get up for Syracuse it's a great point Cody I'm glad you mentioned it's hard for the fans too because I felt the same way going into this game um well it's a 40 what 46 and a half point favorites yeah it's the first time in in years that I didn't go down to the bar to watch it It was a 9 a.m game I was gonna be the only one there so yes it's coming off coming off Georgia Tech like coming off that beat down last week you kept hearing about how Syracuse was out there like recruiting chemistry majors to come in and you know, take the trip down to Clemson to play some football. Um, everyone was expecting, you know, a 40 plus point beat down again. And um, just, I, I, you know, I, I was talking to you guys all week about, man, you know, looking at the line on this game or thinking about betting the under, I just didn't think Dabo was going to run the score up on Dino Babers, like too much respect. And little did I think Syracuse was going to be able to muster like 21 points on the scoreboard and hold Clemson. You know, really Clemson turned it on in the second half with 20 points, but, um, and looked very dominant in doing that. But still, I just, yeah, I don't think any of us expected Syracuse to score 21. 
Yeah, well, and even those points, Stephen, it's a little deceiving because those points in the second half, a lot of those are because of the defense and their 21 points are offense. Um, like 14 of them were because of, of the offense and turnovers of the block punt. Um, or maybe with a block punt. Was well, the block punt with a short field. And, and I think six. that we got the interception. Yeah. Yeah, I mean – are you talking about Syracuse's points? Well, the, I mean, my point being is the offense was mo- mostly the focal point of the, what was off in this game, not the defense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Ben, you, you mentioned it in kind of your first comments. Clemson's defense, you know, played a great game. They allowed 14 points on the day, um, seven come. And really, if you, you want to talk about it, Syracuse was already in the red zone after that block punt early. Right. Um, so, you know, that was on after they had just been out there. Um, Clemson had like a five play series uh, before that. So uh, in any event, yeah, you know, the defense did fine, especially considering the fact that they were down Tyler Davis, James Skalski and Darian Kendrick in this game and Mario Goodrich didn't play. So you, you're taking away four, you know, really three of the, the three premier starters from all three levels of the defense. Well, and Jordan Williams was out hurt. Uh, Mike Jones got hurt late. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, definitely the defense was challenged from a personnel standpoint, and they they held their own in this game. And look, it was Syracuse. Like, Syracuse couldn't muster much against Liberty last week at home. So we don't want to, you know, give too much props here. But ultimately, you know, any sluggishness, you put that entirely at the feet of the offense, who did put up 40 points. So anyway. So from an outsider standpoint, because uh, Ben and I have a a mutual (laughs) friend, that uh, went to Notre Dame and is a big, big fan. And he's starting to tune into Clemson now because we play in two weeks, right? So I think this is the first game he watched uh, of the season of Clemson. And he's feeling really good, like licking his chops, thinking this is going to be like, it's going to be a competitive game in South Bend. So I say that all that to say, really, like, I, I don't really, I don't talk, talk too much trash to him. But I feel just fine with this team. I, I think they were just due a letdown, and I think they'll be right back up in two weeks for South Bend. Yeah, the emotional high after you finally, you know, there was some hype around the Virginia game just because it was our first real test of the season. Uh, and then we've got the Miami game we dominate, Georgia Tech we absolutely slaughter. And, yeah, so this was a little bit of a letdown, unfocused game, not everything going right, you know, a lot more mistakes than usual. But – you know these Clemson teams get up for the big games, right? And so you you know that's going to happen. You know they're going to be focused for that game. So I'm not worried yeah. about that whatsoever. And if I was – I mean, the only reason that Notre Dame uh, should have any uh, sort of confidence is because the injury bug may be hurting us a little bit when we get to that game. Yeah, I think any any fan, any Clemson fan that follows this team closely, you know, the, any fear they have about Notre Dame is going to predicate on the health of Clemson. And I think the theme for many teams this year is just going to be the availability of its starters, whether through injury, you know, weird off season, not the same level of conditioning and prep and practice. And then of course, you know, players being out due to COVID uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to that, that impacts when we talk about other games around the country. So why don't we, I mean, guys, like there's a significant number of guys across Clemson's team here that, you know, could, could, or could not be available for upcoming games. I think that's going to, you know, we're not here to, you know, prognosticate. We're not doctors. We don't understand the condition of a lot of these guys, but that's really the only thing in my mind that could keep that Notre Dame game within two scores, even is if we're relying on backups to come in and play like critical roles. 
Well, I'm, right. And I, well, I think you saw a little bit of it in this game with uh, the defense. And I'd have to say like the, the defensive line, we, we've said it all year. I, and I, I've mentioned this, but I think quacking tiger wrote it as well. Perceive plays a little bit out of position when he's at the nose tackle. And I I've said all year that t- Tyler Davis, I think is the best player on our defense. And I think the more you watch the team without him, like the more you see it. So uh, same thing at the, in the second level, you just, you, they, they lose a little bit of an edge because of, of injuries. Ben, like you said, like we were still dominant against Syracuse, but if you're playing Ohio state, if you're playing Alabama and maybe even Notre Dame, probably not though, it could be a problem to not have those three guys. Yeah, well, if we look like this the game before we play those guys, then I'll be worried. Um, but we should give the team and the coaches the benefit of the doubt just based on what we see. Now, it's totally fair for us to criticize the play that we see on the field. Um, yeah. But also, it seems like every time we have one of these games, the sky is falling um, throughout the fan base, and it's not. We've seen this before. We'll bounce back. We'll be fine. We'll even with even being shorthanded at a lot of key positions, like we're still winning these games by three scores. Well, speaking of scores, Ben, which is getting, sorry, which is getting a lot of younger players, a lot of good work and experience in right now. And that's going to pay dividends in two months. Well, Ben, why don't we drill into the offense? Uh, So, as Clemson had the ball, you know, ran an 84 play game in this one, 40 points on offense. Um, really, guys, for me, I was shocked at how little production Clemson had on the ground in this game. And we'll talk a little bit about ETN coming up here, but only four yards per carry on this game. Really, to me, I think indicated like as this team is able to move the ball on the ground, I think the offense goes, you know, even though it is a Trevor Lawrence led team, um, the run really does open things up and, you know, set the tone for, for this offense. Um, and it, for the second week in a row, this offense had two, two turnovers, Trevor Lawrence's first pick six. Uh, so in, in some aspects you can look at, you know, that aspect of the box score and consider this to be sort of a sloppy effort. Uh, but I think, you know, Ben, you made the larger point, like TL had some struggles in this game, not entirely due to just him. I think there were some offensive line, you know, co- collapses and failures that, you know, made life definitely tough on TL. And then he definitely didn't get too much help from his receiving core in this one. Yeah. A couple drops, a couple missed blocks, penalties and bad snaps, you know, they all, they all played into it. Um, I actually thought the rushing game wasn't terrible. Now we didn't, I know there was criticism coming in or coming out of it because Liberty and Duke uh, ran the ball really well against them, but I don't know. Maybe they weren't focused on stopping the run in those games. I have no clue. I didn't watch those games. I haven't scouted either of those two opponents, but you know, coming into this game, Cody has mentioned it in the past, like guys are keying on ETM. That, that's a big focus uh, of defending this Clemson team. And uh, we were getting yards and chunks. There were four, you know, under four yards here, five yards there, a couple big runs broke off. Um, you know, Lynn J Dixon had a bad uh, tackle for loss when he didn't cut the ball at the field, but I mean, for the most part, if you're averaging four yards a rush, um, you know, that's a first down after three plays. Travis cramped up, still averaging 5.4. Um, certainly it can be better. And I think very similar to the, the Virginia game, the offensive line wasn't, be, wasn't able to be as aggressive um, in run blocking because of the multiple things that Syracuse was doing on their defensive line moving guys around a little bit of eye candy, same thing for Virginia. Whereas Miami was just more straight up. 
That's the one thing I noticed in the rewatch. And I, I don't want to give Syracuse too much credit because I mean, they, they are Syracuse. They don't have, they don't have the talent profile. Let's be honest. And I mean, they do have some good guys in the, in the secondary. They have a, a few athletes here and there, but schematically uh, the, I don't know the name of the defensive coordinator for Syracuse, but he had an excellent game plan. He was doing a lot of things that Brent Venables does with disguised pressure um, with late pressure. Um, he was moving between man and zone coverages and he made sure that Trevor Lawrence didn't feel comfortable. And I, I think that, I mean, I, again, I, I don't feel, I'm not scared by the outcome, but if you were inclined to be scared, then this, this might be a reason because if you can do that with Syracuse defense and uh, make us feel that much pain, then imagine what Georgia or another better team could do. Were there any, yeah, I mean, were there any injuries? Everybody, the starting five was out there, right? Yeah, they were. They played majority of the game. You know, uh, I don't. I don't really think too many. Like, I don't think there were any injuries then. Well, they just sucked then. <laughs> just a tough day. Just a tough day. Um, well, and we're also just not a run-first offense. I mean, we're we're a, we can run really well offense, but we're not running like we very rarely run back to back unless it's like a first down. We we convert a third down on a run and then run on first down, but we don't seem to run. Back multiple times in a row either so um, well, i think that's I think, one thing i wanted to ask you guys was just from an identity standpoint like i think th- i think we're like clemson is not a run first offense due to the lack of push and then i want to talk about i want to spend some time talking about the receivers like we're also not a downfield passing offense just yet i'm so. not so sure we'd still be a run first offense with all the weapons we have but i mean i think you're right to that point tully is definitely when things are not working in the passing game which they weren't in this one you, know, you can blame a little bit on trevor being off on his reads and his accuracy but also the wide receivers this year just aren't getting a lot of separation yeah a lot i want to make a point passes. there ben right so um there are contested passes i think you know, the, a stat I read, Bill Connolly, uh, who now works for ESPN, he quoted a stat from Sports and Flow Solutions talking about Trevor Lawrence and man coverage. And facing man coverage a year ago uh, with the likes of Justin Ross and T. Higgins on targets of 10 to 20 yards downfield, TL had a 98 QBR, 64% completion percentage. So 64%. This year, 10 to 20 yards downfield, he's at 20% completion versus 64 and his QBR is only 29.5. Uh, so much worse than kind of the intermediate and then 20 yards downfield a year ago, he was 50%. This year he's still at 20% there. So uh, I think it really is. It does amount to who he's throwing the ball to um, in the, in the intermediate and downfield passing game. And those guys not going up and getting the ball and certainly drops factors into that. This is completion percentage, but um, TL not as effective in that, in that range against man coverage. Um, that's what Syracuse ran. That's what Virginia ran. BC is going to run that. Uh, but not many other teams on our schedule do run primarily man coverage. I guess that's like a silver lining here, but if you're in Alabama or a Georgia or an Ohio state, like game planning against this Clemson team, you know, if the receivers can't get it together and get separation or go up and fight for those balls, you know, it's going to be a long day and they're going to run, you know, man coverage and um, otherwise, you know, really stack the box and try to stop ETN and it's going to get, get tough in a hurry. Yeah. That's the one thing. It makes it difficult to judge Trevor Lawrence as, cause you, you don't see what he's seeing downfield. You see some amazing passes. Sometimes you, you see him not pass at all. And you wonder like, what the heck are you doing? 
Um, but this kind of goes back to last year and it's probably, I'm not going to say this is a problem, like getting T Higgins, Justin Ross, Frank Ladson, uh, um, and got there you go. Uh, these big, like prototypical boundary type receivers, just getting a lot of those guys and, and maybe not recruiting the same, like a different, slightly different skill set That's more apt for route running. Um, I think Hunter Renfro was just kind of a godsend because we didn't even recruit him. He just kind of fell into our lap and we had a, and I don't mean just a slot type presence because I think we could find that elsewhere, but we, we do need someone that has more of that skill set. I think, I think that's a, a big key and we never found an identity last year either. It was just kind of big player bust to T Higgins or, or yeah, that's, that is. Yeah. And that's I, fair. it's funny that we're thinking about last year is like, you know, the glory days of this offense, because I think we were making the same complaints a year ago, Cody. And I, I think that we also took Ross, the loss of Ross for, for granted a little bit, because when that did happen, yeah, it sucked, but it didn't seem like as big of a news. It's not like Travis Etienne going down. Or, yeah. It's like um, WRU, right? Well, next man up, we got a ton yeah. of great recruits. That room is deep. Yeah. But then you had some injury issues um, uh, with Ngata um Ladson has shown flashes but he still has his drops EJ Williams is starting to come around but Trevor also needs time to to build some chemistry with these guys and you talk about the 50-50 balls downfield and back shoulder throws like you've only seen the back shoulder throws to to Cornell Powell this year nobody else like it takes chemistry to be able to make those plays and I just don't think he has it with a lot of these guys they're all still being broken in but what we're halfway through the season yeah I mean I'm not going to criticize Grisham uh but are we missing Jess Scott? I don't know. That's too early. Jeff Scott's it's too, it's too early to, to say on that. I mean, Jeff Scott, you know, let's see what he would have done this year without Justin Ross and T Higgins. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Otherwise guys, I mean, just in terms of uh, some excitement about out of this game, I thought the Travis Etienne touchdown to go up 17, nothing uh, put that spin move on the Syracuse uh, linebacking core and broke away for a long touchdown run. Uh, just an amazing play. Like further evidence that this dude is a stud and he's having um, yet another amazing season. It, how is he eating frosted flakes though before game day? <laughs> like, how question. is that part of his game day prep where he goes down and get, gets cramps? Um, I thought our you know sports nutrition and uh, strength and conditioning would have had more of a you know a game plan meal setup going. They have them like tracked on apps and iPads of like they go into the cafeteria and they type it in. And it tells them what they should eat for that day. And I don't know if there was a malfunction in the <laughs> the algorithm or. <laughs> I mean that's that's what I was eating in Harkham and stuff, but I was not you know an NFL prospect. I don't blame him. Frosted flakes are good. Yeah. Um, well, in any event, he said he's going to mix in some sausages and eggs for future weeks and hopefully plenty of hydration. Uh, but guys like, you know, more seriously, I, I think this running back core is unfortunately missing, you know, what DeMarcus Bowman would have been able to bring. Uh, we already, we have tons of names there. Like Ches Malusi continues to get carries. Kobe Pace got in late. Um, still, still not seeing the type of, you know, emergence of Lynn J Dixon that I think probably everyone was hoping for. And if he is going to, either carry the torch next season or potentially transfer out and get a starting role somewhere else. Um, you're just not necessarily seeing him as like a bell cow just yet. So I'm personally lamenting that we don't have to Marcus Bowman to start to see, cause he would definitely be getting the looks and the flashes by this point, but Hey, he transferred. 
Yeah, what a hasty decision. I was thinking the same thing as I was watching some of the backups uh, and the rewatch. And yeah, and you know, maybe he doesn't come along by now because it is tough to learn pass protection. But yeah, we always always just kind of lay out names. We do have a larger running back stable than we've had in previous years, but you see that drop off after Etienne. Like it, you see the impact he has just he, when we lost him there for about like a quarter and a half or whatever it was, like he really makes this offense go. We go straight from like maybe an elite offense to what above average. We're, we're probably a good offense or maybe even a really good offense without him, but it's quite a drop off. Right. Cause even with, um, if Bowman was still on the team, you still don't feel great about, you know, you have concerns about this year if at this point, if ETN did not come back to play or goes down or something like that, whether or not you have Bowman, uh, just because he is a freshman and maybe he, you know, does work himself into the two deep and he makes some amazing plays. He's still not Travis ETN, not yet. So I think that is a big factor. This is a big drop off. Linjay is just not, he hasn't really worked himself into being that number one guy or number one type of running back yet. So it'll be interesting to see how these backs continue um, to improve over the course of the season. And then, of course, what happens in the offseason. Uh, I will say this uh, regarding the play calling. There was one play where they had a package with ETN and Lynn J. Dixon on the field at the same time. Um, it was a throwback uh, to Dixon that got tipped. I think they faked the throw to Travis and then back to Lynn J. Dixon. If it wouldn't have gotten tipped, it could have gone for a big play. So I thought it was a really great play call. And interesting to see them both on the, on the field at the same time. Yeah, we also saw at the end of the first half, TL get involved in the running game a bit. Um, so that was, again, he's got that skill. Clemson does have that gear. You know, they kind of have that club in the bag, so to speak. Um, so good to see Trevor continue to exercise the legs out there. Ben, I'm, I'm completely with you. Like, let's let's try to open up the playbook a little bit more and start to feel out, you know, get different wrinkles of the offense going um, just to set up things for later on in the year. But um, good to see Travis only really be out for the third quarter um, and come back in and um, be able to, you know, score another touchdown, um, actually two touchdowns in the second half. So I, ultimately a big day for ECN, uh, maybe a little bit quiet on the ground in terms of yards per carry, but um, definitely got his in terms of, uh, you know, touchdowns towards really what's going to be most likely a, uh, a, a pretty steep record in terms of like overall touchdowns from a career standpoint. Which is great to see. So is it fair to say that at this point in the season, the, the kind of two recurring consistent things we're seeing out of this offense that we should be concerned about is the play of the wide receivers, whether it be the drops or the lack of uh, being able to get separation from the defender and also the offensive line and their ability to run block. I would say those are the top two. I think, maybe just in general, like if you take away Travis Etienne's contributions to this offense, like what percentage of the offensive production does he amount to? You got to diversify away from him. Um, You just have to, like he becomes more dangerous when you do develop other weapons and you got to think about game situation though. And how many, how many games, how many minutes, how many snaps in series of this season has Clemson been in a position where they need to exploit other options on offense. So I don't think you can take like the whole season and do that level of math equation on ETN's contributions, but when we're in, you know, tight games, you know, and scores not out of hand yet, um, looking at how much he contributes to the offense and look like he's the best, he's pretty much the best playmaker on the team, feed him the rock. Like we will insist on that, but you know, 
I would like to see the tight ends get more involved. Like if that, if that downfield receiving option is not there, that seemed to have worked a good bit, Ben. And I'm not sure that this offense and, you know, Lawrence, for instance, has enough experience throwing over the middle and finding the tight ends. Like that's something they have to continue to work on if that's going to work later on. Speaking of tight ends, Davis Allen has been a revelation this year. You're combining him with Galloway. I think that is a strong suit of this offense that we've been sorely missing and um, has helped um, uh, cover for the fact that the wide receivers haven't been great. We're missing some stuff downfield and on the outside. So we're just going to get to a point that when we play better defenses in the playoffs, where they're going to have guys who can take Amari Rodgers out of the game or spy ETN and limit his success. So we're going to have to have other guys step up. It's good to see Joseph Ngata starting to get back in there and getting some playing time early. We need him to come along. So there's just a lot to be desired. It's not that we don't have the talent to do it, but they're just young and inexperienced, and they're just going to need to take these, uh, whatever, six games in the regular season, five or five, about five games, is it, uh, left in the regular season that we have and just continue to, to improve. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, this is a, a down game, but you have to think like one of the things we were talking about in covering Tully and, and Clemson covering the spread, like we were on a, a hot streak the last, what, two or three games. It seemed inevitable that we were going to win this one by, you know, 50 or 60. So hopefully we can we can pick up where we left off. But to your point, Ben, about the two weak spots on the team, yeah, I do think offensive uh, getting a push in the run game uh, just I think ultimately we're fine in pass protection. We're good. We could win a championship, but it, it's certainly not a strong suit. We're not going to be able to ground and pound uh, in the playoff. And I mean, does that hurt you? Like, maybe it just depends on the other parts of the defense and how they can shut down the outside and uh, other areas that we would, where we would traditionally like to exploit um, because I mean, through the middle, it's just, it's, it's plugged. ETN can only do so much. Yeah, I agree with you, Cody. Um, it is going to depend on, again, the matchup and where the strength, the strong suits lie. You know, the Big Ten really just kicked off. I don't know how much you can read into Ohio State's defensive performance against Nebraska. Uh, we've seen Georgia. I'm going to continue to look to what they're able to do against potent offenses um, just when you start to scout against opposing teams. But um, you're definitely right. It's going to be just a, a matter of matchup and how much will it be essential to get the run established. Um, guys, I think that pretty much covers this on the offense. Uh, why don't we flip over to the defense? All right, in this one, uh, the defense, great game actually from a statistical standpoint, really only allowing, uh, you can kind of call it 14 points, but one of those was on a short field of 20 yards after a blocked punt earlier in the game. And then they, the other defensive, or, you know, the other touchdown allowed on defense was an 83 yard passing play where Joseph Charleston uh, was burnt. So uh, pretty solid defensive effort overall in the day, you know, Syracuse, not world beaters on offense, but they always seem to have Clemson's number uh, when we match up. Um, and this one guy is a really stellar performance from a turnover standpoint, uh, three interceptions and two fumble recoveries, only two sacks on the day, but one of those uh, fumble recoveries strip sacks went for a touchdown. Um, that was a great combination of, um, Mike Jones, Brian Brzee, and I'm spacing on the third guy involved on that play, but, uh, really just a great effort to bottle up the, who, who ran it back. Yeah, it was Booth. Jones. Booth. It was Booth. You're right. 
And uh, yeah, so it was really kind of like all three levels of the defense converging on that to free the ball up for Booth. Um, it was awesome. And then, you know, Mike Jones's interception was also an incredible play. Uh, he reminded me a little bit of Daniel Jones, though, the New York Giants couldn't quite get into the end zone after after that long run. But well, that's um, where he hurt his hamstring. It was, I think it was pretty obvious during the run. Oh, yeah. hundred yeah. um, percent. And da- Daniel really, Jones just tripped and fell on face first on the field. Mike Jones pulled yeah. a hamstring. It's completely different. <laughs> I don't know. Same to me, man. <laughs> couldn't quite get it over the line. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, we really hope that Mike Jones is able to recover. And that was just a minor strain, but or a, a hamstring, hamstring strain. Those can be pesky injuries, though. Those can linger. So uh, we really hope he's able to work that out and um, go in this BC game this weekend. And if not that, be be ready for Notre Dame. So again, I, yeah, I thought the defense played well in this game, especially with the absence of Davis, uh, Skalski, and, and Darian Kendrick. And again, it was just they move so slow on offense. So there was the pick six, which obviously wasn't the defense's fault. Uh, did they, they scored a touchdown on the short field after the block punt. Was that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, so, so short field there. And then the only other time they score is the one play in the game where they went fast and caught Charleston just kind of sleeping out there. So other than that, I mean, they had a few big plays, a few more than you would have liked to see. There was some missed tackles here and there. A lot of that was coming when the second team guys were in. Um, they did started having a little bit of success at the beginning of the, or the, the second quarter um, or maybe towards the end of the second quarter. But overall, I thought the defense did just fine. I think, again, I think most of this game is on the offense. I, I agree. I, when you rewatch it, you can see like the defense actually played really well. And you factor in, like you said, Davis, DK and, Skalski being out like it was a it was a fine performance one other notable thing on the defense this year is like every year you know we cycle in guys you know we're it's a lot of three and outs with all the talent that comes through kind of the guys that have emerged this year to me have been one Miles Murphy on the defensive line like I just think he's he's already there like he's impact player almost every down which is which is just great because his upside can be that of like maybe clowny I don't know I hope so um, the other one is Spectre, who kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I liked his speed last year, but man, he is really putting it to work this year. Like he's not only we were happy that he made some plays in the first few games, but I would say he's he's an integral part at this point. He's one of the best players on the defense, and we need him and his ability to the, the blitz and get after the the passer. So um, those are the two, and then you know I, I'd say behind them are the the two young corners and Sheridan Jones and in booth who, who are coming along a little bit slower, but I think they're both have like star potential. But Nolan Turner, man. Well, you kind of know what you get with him. I think he's had a better year than last year, but I, I think he's kind of a known commodity. QT had him as the uh, defensive player of the game. Um, guys, what about, I mean, what's your feeling on, you know, so Skalski, he's going to be out for two, three, four more weeks, uh, which is unfortunate, but he's nursing a groin injury, which I believe is the same injury that Joseph Mangat is trying to come back from. And man, you're a middle linebacker. You're in there, you know, you're getting down into the, into the pile on every single play. Like that in, is an injury. It's about pain management. And you know, that that's a, that's a very taxing uh, position to play on the body. So uh, it could be a good solid month before we see Skalski back to hundred percent and doing what he does. Um, 
just thinking about the backups and, you know, we, we saw Jake Venables come in and uh, start in this one and um, played pretty well for, for where his experience is, you know, not a perfect flawless game necessarily, but what is your outlook for this linebacker core? You know, knowing that we're going to be limited with Skalski being out and Mike Jones coming back from a hamstring. Well, I, I'm even more concerned about it if Tyler Davis is not here, is not playing for the, the Notre Dame game. I think if you take him out the middle of the defensive line and Skalski out the middle of that defense against a team that relies heavily on the run, then it's, it's not good, you know, obviously. Yeah. Does it mean we're going to lose the game? No, not necessarily. Um, it's probably still a likelihood of a win, but we're not going to – I think they'll cause us a problem if those two guys are out there because they are the at least the second-best team if not the best that we have on our regular season schedule this year. Yeah. And, and Jake Venables is, I would say he's sure handed, like probably no surprise to anyone. He makes, he's in the right spots almost every play. He just, I would just say he doesn't do anything spectacular where Skoski does do a few things that are spectacular. So again, like you said, Ben, not a big deal if you know, you have him behind Tyler Davis, but you can only have so many unspectacular guys beside one another. Cause that's, that's that was essentially last year's defensive line and you don't, you don't see much greatness. Speaking of the line, though, it is good to see Xavier Thomas getting playing time and early in these games. So hopefully he continues working himself back in uh, at a good pace. We would expect then to see him in more action against Boston College. And maybe he can, um, you know, have an effect in that Notre Dame game. Yeah. And is sort of a position, guys, where I feel like, like we'll definitely take it. And Xavier Thomas is, you know, he was like a top five recruit in the country, um, you know, when he came in. Uh, from IMG Academy. So um, yeah, just continue to hope the best for him and his progress coming back from complications from COVID. I feel like to earlier points made, it's really that defensive tackle position that I feel like this defense is, is in most need. And uh, Quacking Tiger, he talked a little bit about if Tyler Davis is out, you would really look to just from a body type standpoint that can play that nose tackle type position. Um, getting that from Demonte Capehart, who's not really seen too much playing time. So it's, it's truly a bummer that we can't necessarily depend and rely on Jordan Williams and Niles Pinkney as like the senior veterans on this team um, to necessarily give you solid production there. Um, but the, you know, we kind of know, you know, what you get with those guys. And um, then your point is definitely right in that if you're down Skelsky and Tyler Davis, and you go up against the stout running, running offense, you know, what does that then do? what kind of pressure does that put on the safeties at that point to come up and, you know, make those stops. I think it changes the complexion of this defense quite a bit. Now, if you've got DK booth takes, you know, continues to make strides, Sheridan Jones is solid. Maybe you can bend and not break um, in the secondary and just leave those guys on an Island um, and bring Xanders and to a lesser extent, Turner down to, you know, stop the run, but would feel so much better if you could at least get like an 85% Tyler Davis effort in that game. And not even that game, just heading into this back part of our schedule, three of the last four games are on the road. That includes games against uh, like home against Pitt, um, obviously Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, uh, obviously the, yeah. So I said Notre Dame, then Boston college next week. So, I mean, you're getting a little bit further into the grind of the season. Um, these other teams we're playing against have some games under their belt. They're starting, they've gotten better as the year has gone along. So, um, the schedule does get a bit harder and we're playing, you know, because we're playing better teams, um, 
Like we need these guys back or we could slip up and see one of these pit type losses, Syracuse type losses uh, from a couple of years ago that get very well could happen. So we, we do need to start getting these guys healthy and, and back in game action because you can only rely on the backup so much over an extended period of time. Yeah, one thing I'm missing is just the, a consistent four four man front on the defensive line. I just, I just feel like we're at our best when we have four down linemen, and, and that might not even be true. And there might be stats that say otherwise. I just like to see you know Tyler Davis at that maybe at the nose, and then um, you can put Bercy at the, at the three tech and let his let his speed do the work. Like we we're talking about earlier, he's not he's a little bit out of position when he's at the nose tackle, and then that also frees up. Miles Murphy to have one-on-one opportunities and, and same for Maskell or KJ Henry on the other side. So um, I think Brent Venables does works out a lot of magic to make it happen with a three-man front, but it's, I think we're just at our best with uh, four, four DLs. Yeah. And to give kind of perspective on how important Tyler Davis is, how many other guys do we talk about getting double teamed? Like he's the guy that gets double teamed when he's out there and you know, it's obviously a numbers game. You put two guys on him, there's somebody else able to, to run free and get after the quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, that is a super important position. And in these down games that we've seen, Virginia, Syracuse, he wasn't in there. Yeah, no mystery. Uh, down, so, quotation marks, air quotes. Right, of course, all relative to the score. Um, but, yeah, you know, we're this time it was an ankle injury. He was played by a knee earlier in the season. No idea if that's a compensation-based injury, uh, but in either event, need him to recover and rest up here. Um, I guess in terms of where the depth chart is looking, you know, more guys got in on this game. Um, surprised not to see uh, too much of Mario Goodrich. Actually, he didn't really get in at all, guys. Right? So no, he didn't uh, play. Not, well. Yeah, not quite sure what's going on with that situation, but he's not um, the best guy to put out there. I think that's we haven't heard anything about injuries, so I would guess they just trust the other talent out there between Booth and Jones. Um, Fred Davis was the, the Fred third. Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting development. So, um, and then I, and that's without Landon, Kendrick out there too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, and Landon Xanders, you know, was kind of played a, a pretty good game um, in his own way. I, I think the secondary, you know, I think we talked about them as this team's going to come and go as, as far as the secondary plays. Uh, it's clearly about at this point, I think Tyler Davis though, you know, Cody, you've said it all year. He's, he's the most important player, probably the best defensive player, not necessarily the most talented, but you know, definitely anchors that defensive line. And as they go, the defense goes, um, Trenton Simpson, he's another star that has gotten in in pockets. And if Mike Jones isn't able to go, it looks like he'll split snaps uh, at the nickel Sam position with Tyler Venables, um, who's been in a good amount in this, in this season. I think he played a good deal in the Miami game um, in a number of capacities. I think the more Clemson can roll out like nickel and dime looks, you're likely to see Simpson and the other Venables kind of hit the field. Um, so a good amount of talent, a good amount of like develop, develop players coming along. Uh, but I, I, for one, am all, all about seeing Trent Simpson get on the field. He is something to behold. I didn't, I didn't get to speak on him last week where he got a little bit more playing time. But if you are going to keep doing these three-man fronts um, and you don't want to exploit a young linebacker, which I get it, you know, uh, good teams will, they'll, they'll send blockers his way or, or get him into coverage. And like, that'll be, that'll be that. 
but if you're if you're gonna do three man fronts and you're gonna you're gonna put someone put someone up to the line, like he is the guy. He like there's just he is unbelievable uh, first step quickness, and I, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Like he'll he'll get past a, a tight end. Cody, who does he remind you of? You know, kind of putting you on the spot, but either Clemson players past or even you know superlative pros. Like who's his ceiling? The only guy that comes to mind from a linebacker standpoint is um, Broncos linebacker. When I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, um, the in, but Von the, Miller, Von Miller, right? And the impact he had in the Super Bowl, um, what 2016, a few years ago. Like yeah. that's that's what he looks like. I mean, to, to have the complete package where we can be a you know a full you know have all the skill set of a linebacker. I, I don't know if he's there yet, but in terms of blitzing, that's what he that's what he's like. And then from like Clemson standpoint, I, like just the the watchability is is probably like Vic Beasley, in terms of first yeah, step closeness, yep. right? Yeah, which is high, high praise for a true freshman. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, we're also going to see Joseph Charleston in there at that that nickel position too. I actually tend to think he might go in before Tyler Venables. He has been. Yeah, was he a three star guy or a four star? I forget. Charleston is from two years ago. Yeah, he was four star. So mm-hmm. I think believe he was a top one hundred and fifty player, one mm-hmm. of the first right. recruits in the class. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that play where you kind of saw him uh, caught off guard. You could you could call it that on an eighty three yard touchdown. I mean, that was a play where credit to Syracuse's coaches, they all of a sudden started running tempo and uh, great play design. Kind of got you know got got the receiver behind Charleston, and um, I think it was an easy first reaction to blame Sanders for not giving him coverage over the top. But I don't necessarily know that that was the play call that he was set up to protect uh, deep. So it's just a good play. I don't know. That stuff happens. Yeah. That, that's the way I look at it. I mean, it, we've seen some bust in the past. I mean, that, that looked more like he just got beat um, by a slightly faster player and both of the young safeties. Like I'm not as alarmed. They're going to make some mistakes, but they're only in their second year. And uh, I, I think they, they've made plays that show me like there's some, there's a lot of promise there. Well, and they're also really good. They're very physical around the line of scrimmage. And I love yeah. that about this team and this secondary core. So, um, you know, that has its downsides, right? Being so aggressive at the line of scrimmage, you might get beat sometimes, might bite on something that you shouldn't. Um, and that's happened a few times this year. But I think overall, uh, the sum of all the good outweighs the bet. Yeah, I want to maybe guys we can talk a little bit about Boston College coming in, like while we're on the defense. So they're very much, I and mean, this is not this is not your your dad's Boston College team here. They throw the ball. You know, they have brought over um, a coach from Ohio State to come in, and um, they are very much a passing first offense. I think it's going to be none of us know like where's Mike Jones going to be in terms of being able to suit up. What's going on with DK and why why he's not going, um, but that is going to be, that's going to be critical here. They run the ball fine, but really they're a pass first offense. Um, so it is going to be like, can Clemson rely on its, its starters? And what do you sort of get out of the backups? But I, for one, I'm glad this, this game is going to be in the Valley. I feel like the coaching staff is going to have this team focused and ready after this, this game here. And um, my, I don't think, I don't see this team looking ahead to Notre Dame and kind of getting tripped up in a trap game. Um, I feel like it's, it's going to be all focused for BC. Yeah, I'm still not worried about the defense. I, I want to see the offense more consistently perform. Well, guys, I think we can so totally, would, move over. Would you put some money down? Is this the yeah, one you I put mean, money down on? 36-point uh, Clemson points spread against Boston College. 
again, like Clemson hasn't, we've only beaten two spreads this year, guys against Miami and against Georgia tech. Like Vegas loves putting big spreads on Clemson. And I don't, I don't know that, you know, Dabo is necessarily up for running the score up late. So I don't know. I think there's some value in that Boston college line, especially with some of the injuries that we're seeing. That's the, that's the curse of death. Don't, don't bet against your team. I would take the, yeah, I would take, take uh, the points, take the points, take Boston college to cover. Am I saying that yeah. right? Yes, you are. They won't lose by 32 points or more. Is it 32 now? I thought it was 36. It's 31 and a half. Oh yeah. We could cover that. I think we, we could cover 31 and a half. Well, you know, this team's propensity to bounce back after yeah, quote unquote dud games. And guys, we haven't we didn't talk about Dabo's reaction. Um, maybe you guys would plan to talk about that, but he kind of went after the media. He opens the press conference by you know saying we didn't play that good, we were very lackadaisical, and this and that. And then they give him a couple of critical questions, and he he kind of gets very defensive. Um, how do we feel about that? Do we care? Dabo is just he's a he's a puppeteer controlling the puppets the media the puppets he's just pulling the right strings well like, i think this is I all think... for player motivation i mean you know he feels that way and he's in that locker room like they're they're applying the right level of you know pressure on the players well i don't think he's overreacting publicly well i think yeah, it's I mean, all just a shell game yeah i mean he he knows there's things to work on and things that didn't go right and we know he's going to get into the players about it i think he just gets tired sometimes about um, us not winning good enough, well enough, you know, and that's, I mean, it's happened before. It's like the game against South Carolina, whenever it was, uh, two years ago where they put up all those points. Um, and he had that reaction when the fans were disgruntled, like it's, he said it several times, man. It's, it's, it's not easy, necessarily easy to win. Yeah, sure. Against teams like the Citadel, it is, um, South yeah. Carolina, some years it is, but like well, to go through the grind of the season and win them all, like and when you're still winning them by you know three touchdowns, twenty six points, almost twenty eight, almost four touchdowns, like we did in this game. I mean, come on, he knows what you need to point out the things to him that have gone wrong. Um, but let me, let me throw you a double advocate. I thought Bess was the standard. Fair there enough. You, like you can't. No, you can't I'm say you, Bess and, is the standard and then not cop to when your team doesn't live up to best. It's best. Well, like, you're also never going to be that. Nothing's ever perfect, okay, guys. Jeez. Um, no, I'm just I'm just telling you. I think what he's reacting to. I'm not saying it's it's we shouldn't be able to look at this game and point out the fact that this team did not play well. There was some, definitely the big mistakes and some weaknesses starting to show themselves for sure. Yeah, and I think it's fair game for him to be asked about that. And Trevor even said himself that the the energy was low uh, coming out of the beginning yeah. of the game. But I, I think all Dabo would have to say when he gets a question about energy levels being low or not playing well is just be like, yeah, we didn't play well. And, you know, we got to go to the, like, you know, coach talk. We got to go to the drawing board this week, but I, th- I think we'll come out and prove for next week. I, that's all. He just went on it. It's, I think it's just kind of the old mindset that he has is like, you know, chip on your shoulder, a little old Clemson. I think that's part of it. I think it's a big part of it. Being able to control the media. And you could do that in 2010 when it's like local media, but now you got these national guys coming in and he's like, you know, David Hale, ESPN. Right. Yeah. Was it really Dabo's him or you favorite. just mentioned him? Yeah. I, no, he's Dabo's favorite punching bag. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I love that guy. He's awesome. But they're all fair. I, I actually feel like he 
he he has jumped on Grace Rayner at times this year from the athletic. But in any event, you know, I think if that if you're gonna say best is the standard and have these banners all over the facility, it's fair to ask the critical questions. And it's fine if Dabo wants to react that way too. I don't care. You can also tell more. I didn't see the press conference. Um, I think you can tell a lot more from watching it than reading the transcript, read body language, stuff like that. So I don't know, you guys tell me. Was it was it more of a puppeteer like putting on a show trying to control the media narrative or I mean it wasn't was like, like seriously when Dabo up? was like when Dabo went off about Clemsoning, like that yeah. was the ultimate just theatrical yeah. performance. Yeah. But <laughs> won a damn Emmy almost, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this wasn't quite that. Anyway, good good question, Cody. Well, we saved the best for last boys, special teams. Let's hear it for the special teams MVP of the season, Will Spires. Fake punt, brilliant. Well, not only that, I mean, well, he was the specialist of the week last week in the ACC, so kudos for that. But he's turning into to Bradley Penyon uh, level production and that level of an asset. And that's a, something that we have missed the, the last couple of years. But when you are playing against better teams, the field position game really comes into play. It's going to come into play against Notre Dame. It's the reason why, even though we had some stalled drives in this game, Syracuse often had a very long field to work with. And it's all because of uh, Spires punting. Well, dude, Ben, I mean, when you're going up against like Ian Buck, like that, that is a huge point. Right. And especially if other aspects of the team are not quite, quite feeling it on offense, let's say, or we're struggling in the running game, like field position matters a lot. And you really want to give a Notre Dame team a long field. So, you know, hats off to Spires for this. Um, I don't know, guys, like how you win a Ray Guy award, but it'd be crazy if a Clemson player won that. Yeah, and the thing about Spires, and I don't know anything about kickers, so pardon my ignorance, but I didn't know that they could improve this much throughout their, their, their career. I thought they were kind of just a fixed asset or whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, a lot of props to him for improving. Although we'll say he would have some booming punts uh, maybe like you know a couple of years ago, and then his next punt would be like a 30-yarder. Maybe not that. Well, I got longer, Cody. Yeah, I guess, yeah, probably that German surgery you get to just extend your leg, yeah. No, but yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, it's the consistency, right? <laughs> he's been able to do a consistency, a consistent. I think it's the criticism he's gotten on this show. It's that it's really, yeah. It's really, you know, yeah. motivated him to get in the weight room, extend that leg, go to Germany. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, so you're anyway, welcome. Good job, Will. Clemson Nation, you're welcome. We've, uh, if we've, if we've contributed part. anything to the successful run of Clemson football. It's Will Spires. And well, I will say too, that I knew at some point that he was going to do a fake, like, I, cause he does have some athleticism and I, and I always thought they would save it for a you know more important moment, but maybe they do have that in their back pocket now uh, for, for maybe a playoff or ACC championship. Yeah. I think you always got to show your hand what's on those things. Right. Um, no, but he's incredibly athletic. We saw it playing quarterback. He's well, more yeah, than he just a throw. little, yeah. Right. Like, and not look like an idiot when he throws, you know, he looks like a normal yeah, like Amari Rogers. Not yet. Unlike Amari Rogers. <laughs> uh, BC Potter, two for three on the day. Uh, one missed field goal, so that's unfortunate. But um, he's been solid. Clemson, Talking about kickers improving, yeah. he's improved. I mean, he's always been great at kicking the ball off and getting touchbacks, but he's improved. Don't let the the block kicks aren't his fault. He miss, misses one field goal in this game. That's an uh, uh, abnormality. So he's been great. 
Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, the block punt sucked, though, guys. And yes. that's ultimately like the third block in the special teams game go against Clemson. When it's a punt, typically that always results in points. And it did result in a touchdown this time. Um, the set of points coming off the board for us as it happened against Miami. But uh, got to clean that up. You know, you hope it it isn't something that can linger or something that other coaches are identifying. But, you know, Ultimately, for this game, I think you got to take your hats off, hat off to Dino Babers and the Syracuse coaching staff. They did have their guys ready to play. You know, their team played hard, fought hard. It seems like, from a coaching standpoint, I don't want to say Clemson's coaches got outcoached, uh, but Syracuse did. You know, they they exploited uh, Trevor Lawrence with man coverage. You know, the extent that that was possible. Really, they exploited the Clemson receivers. Um, they figured out that black punt wrinkle figured out the tempo wrinkle to spring that receiver for a touchdown. Syracuse is never going to win this game, but to be, to have the ball twice to potentially take the lead in this game in the third quarter is a complete win for the Syracuse team, even though they lost by 26 on the day. I don't, I don't want to say they've got that team moving in the right direction because we've said that before in the past and they failed to live up to that, but you know, in a discreet one game sample size, like they, they played pretty well in this game and, I applaud their effort. I think Dino Babers is going to be the type of guy who gets run off in the next, this year, next year. Or so just for not winning enough games, but very quickly finds himself with another prominent head coaching job. He just doesn't, he just can't bring the talent there. Like that's, what's lacking. Yeah, you can point to these big games against Clemson where he has coached. Well, he's made great coaching calls got his team up to play. And I think that has a lot of value. And I think people are going to recognize um, the situation he's in in Syracuse because there was a lot of hype around him uh, coming in uh, to that job. And also after his first couple of years there, he didn't just forget how to coach. I tend to think it's more on the quality of player they're getting in there to Syracuse and upstate New York than it is his coaching. Maybe my nightmare South Carolina hired him. Right. And they should. But Will Moschamp, he just has to win one more game and then he'll get extended. So let's hope that happens. All right. Let's put a bow on this one, guys. Um, you know, Clemson 6-0, and ho-hum. Uh, get BC this week. Still another home game. Um, majority of the remaining games are going to be on the road. So uh, Boston College, you know, they've had a pretty solid year thus far. Um, they won a couple of games in tight fashion late and – uh, they're rebuilding. They're certainly trying to re-identify, you know, who they are. Um, but it, really this next game is just going to be about what you get from Clemson. Like what kind of bounce back performance we get from the offense and the defense who's healthy. Um, is it an, is it a, it's not a 9am game. It's a game. Yes, it yes, it's it a new is. game. Yep. All right. I don't know. Does that, does that help Clemson? Didn't this week. No, when you say 9 a.m., uh, that would be noon Eastern time. Yeah, it's a noon is Eastern. It, is it another noon Eastern time? Start. I mean, there's not really a home field advantage to speak of. So it's not like, you know, they'd be getting up for a night game in the Valley, per se, against the Boston College team. But um, just, you know, take care of business this next week. I mean, no one likes a noon game, players included. So yeah. that's not great. They've but, only lost to two ranked teams. Now, you can question whether those teams should be ranked where they were. Uh, but, you know, that's not too shabby sitting there at four and two. So they're going to be a decent football team, probably better. I mean, could be better than Virginia. Much yeah. better record than Virginia. 
yeah, I mean, they also handle Georgia Tech, um, which, you know, is no, no big feat necessarily. But yeah, I mean, it, Boston College, like, again, they're similar to a Georgia Tech, like they're, they're seasons away from, you know, being, being a competitive team in the ACC. But that doesn't necessarily mean they can't, you know, put up a fight and they do have an offense. So they can come from behind and hang around in games. Um, ultimately, you know, they basically have like a top 40 offense at this point. Their defense is pretty lackluster. I think they're like around 70th um, in SP plus ratings. So this should be a definitive Clemson victory, um, you know, provided the offense can get moving. And I have no reason. I mean, again, I think I think Clemson will probably cover right around a 30 point spread. So, guys, uh, let's look around the country this weekend. I think in terms of let's maybe start with the ACC. Not too much crazy action going on. Um, Miami really needed the whole game to come to come out of that with a win against UVA. Um, So they are five and one overall, four and one in the ACC. Um, Notre Dame waxed Pitt, so that's going to be an interesting thing because considering we play both of those teams, um, Pitt did not look good at all, and I think they're without their starting quarterback, so um, maybe we can reserve judgment about that offensive performance. But um, Notre Dame certainly looks to be solid from a defensive standpoint, and uh, they're getting it done on the ground as well. So ND is definitely going to be a formidable foe for Clemson. I suspect we're probably going to be ten and a half to thirteen point favorites in that game guys uh, which is probably pretty appropriate so tbd let's see how how we fare this week against boston college to figure out that one but um otherwise in the country you know the big 10 was back in action this week um the big kind of movement and shuffling in the top 10 was penn state uh, who was ranked eighth coming into the game lost in overtime at indiana who's not a very good team not a very good program um, this is weird, you know, week one guys, you know, the big 10 has had a weird, a weird kind of obviously off season, but no real preseason to speak of in terms of practice and wasn't normal. Um, I am not ready to rule Penn state all the way out, although not great timing that they now have to host Ohio state this weekend. I agree with you. I was thinking the same thing that, you know, usually you have, uh, your cupcake games at the beginning of the year and they kind of serve as your warmups. Now there are also teams who play good games. First game of the year as Clemson has several times. So I think you do have to take that. Although Indiana has gone through the same situation as, as Penn state, it was their first game as well. So uh, I would be concerned if I'm a Penn state fan, for sure. I think that lost Indiana almost assures the fact that the big 10 will not get two teams into the college football playoff. So that oh, leaves, maybe. that leaves, I uh, mean, oh, short, short season, like Penn state doesn't get another shot to play Ohio state. Yeah, they won't. You're right. So Penn state's eliminated. Let's go ahead and say that. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't Wisconsin's see that on the field. Quarterback is out for like the next three weeks because of COVID and his back yeah, is out looks- for the next three weeks because of COVID. So Wisconsin's probably going to lose. So you know what that means? That means Cincinnati or BYU are going to make it into the playoff. So it won't be BYU. BYU will not have a ranked win at any point on their season schedule. And Cincinnati. They don't really anybody. So it could be very much Cincinnati. Boise State's about to start playing. They're not going to have as many wins. Um, so, yeah, you, you could see a G5 pr- come up here. Ben, I'm surprised you're not taping for Michigan, though. 
Number 18, Michigan blew out Minnesota on the road. Uh, I'm just shocked. You're not, you're forgetting your favorite team. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, I, I'm surprised they're not ranked number two this week, even number one. I mean, they started off so low, which was unusual for a Michigan team. Um, but where do they sit now in the rankings? 13, 13. So they moved up five spots. Did they move up further than all the other teams around them after a win? Probably. Oh, look yeah, I at think that. all the big 10 they teams did. got a, I think all the big 10 teams got a bump from finally playing a game and right. You know, Michigan again, like week one, probably they, they're not actually as good as they looked and of some other not. teams are probably the same. So uh, I do want to talk about another ranked win from this past week. Uh, UNC whooped up on NC state that UNC loss against FSU just continues to look like a crazy anomaly. That might be an eliminator for North Carolina ultimately, you know, getting into the ACC title game because they still have a few tough games on their schedule. Maybe it won't though. Maybe UNC is legit. I mean, they certainly seem to be clicking on offense. NC State went out with a backup quarterback in this one. But uh, UNC, kind of keep an eye on them as the season unfolds. I'm really just thinking about like who's going to come in and really take that other side of the ACC. Could still be Notre Dame. Miami still has that opportunity. Yeah. Um, North Carolina certainly uh, could do that. And, and most of them have the opportunity to play each other. Um, although I don't think Notre Dame plays North Carolina. So, yeah, I think I think those teams are still in it. I think North Carolina is a team that, yeah, you have the hiccup uh, against Florida State and then they had a close game or they had some closer games earlier in the year. But you know, they're a team yeah, under Mac, Mac Brown. does getting, play Notre Dame. Okay, they, and they do. play Miami also. Nice. Yeah. Um, so Mac Brown getting new young talent in there, let them develop throughout this year. You know, just like we talk about Clemson players, their players are going to get better and they're definitely going to, that kind of um, comes at a faster pace when we have good coaching. Yeah, I could. So, you know, fluky loss for them. It was a tight loss. Um, there were some crazy turnovers in that game. So I could see, <clears throat> I could definitely see UNC hanging with Notre Dame um, just based on the power of their offense and, that not really being the strong suit of Notre Dame's game. So uh, that's going to be a really interesting one. That's happening Thanksgiving weekend, it looks like. Uh, so, yeah, just, you know, good to keep an eye out across the ACC. Um, kind of quiet week in the SEC overall. Alabama crushed Tennessee. Uh, so not, not too much else to speak of. I don't know if you guys watched the Ohio State game. Um, I was in and out on that one during the first half, flipping back to the Clemson game. But they um, – Justin Fields, you know, got it done ultimately, but looked a little timid in parts of the first half and Ohio state, like it was really weird. They were able to get a lot of pressure on Nebraska, um, with just four down linemen, but they did not look to have a very dominant defense like in the early going of this game. So, um, Ohio state may need to end up scoring in the forties and fifties to try to win games this season. Um, I don't think, I mean, Penn state clearly doesn't have an awesome offense. Otherwise they wouldn't have, you know, they would have been able to put up more points against Indiana, but um, this weekend will be an interesting test for the Buckeyes. And I just think we need to see more games out of all these teams until we can pass judgment. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to write off the Ohio state defense yet. Cause I think they might be, I think they'll be pretty solid, but I'm pretty confident saying they're not as good as they were last year. Cause that was a darn good defense. And then, yeah, like, I guess there were some, uh, what, what did you say? He was uh, Justin Fields was timid on offense in the first half. 
but honestly, I was, I was looking for a lot more rust and that was a very, it just, it looks, looks like they uh, picked up where they left off from last year. Justin Fields looks really good. Yeah, you're right. And he, you know, he's going to spring right into the Heisman conversation. Um, unfortunately, Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, you know, redshirt freshman, um, got the start when Wisconsin's first string quarterback went down with a foot injury, came in and went 20 for 21 of five touchdowns, albeit against Illinois. But um, he came up with, he came down with COVID and interesting wrinkle guys. Um, if you fail a second COVID test as part of their protocol in the big 10, you have to sit for 21 days. Yeah. To miss three weeks of practice or games. Are they um, going so by science? Like, is that scientific? I don't, it's really strange to me because things like I've never heard the three week thing, like Democrat or Republican. Like I've never heard anybody talk about that. Yeah. They're anti-science in the big 10. Yes. Ben, to answer your question. Fair enough. It's very strange. And they have a lot of, they have a lot more onerous rules about like the percent of players on your team that can, can miss the game due to COVID uh, before you have to forfeit the game. So I guess that's why they also decided to start their season during the predicted and now eventual spike of COVID for the, for the cold season. Yeah. So I, I think it might not even be about like quality of teams. I think they might get got just by protocols, uh, unfortunately. So yeah. Um, virtue signaling protocols. Love it. So yeah, Cincinnati um, probably in their toughest uh, test of the season so far uh, went on the road to beat number 16 SMU 42 to 13. They look very legit. Uh, I feel like if they were in the Big Ten or the ACC or even the SEC, I mean, they'd, they'd probably be like a top five team at this moment. And again, they haven't faced power five school competition necessarily, but they look very legit. Give them uh, a so, shot. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, give them a shot. Give them a shot. Who would you rather see? Like, especially Lost Georgia or something? I mean, to, fa- to be fair, Oklahoma State's going to technically need to get a loss before we can kick them out of there, but. We know that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, I just don't want to see, like, Oklahoma, you know, rise from the dead and potentially make their way in. No way. Two losses. No. Yeah. I agree. Let's get an undefeated G5 team in. Um, How about this coming weekend, guys? Have you guys looked ahead to the schedule? I mean, we, we talked about Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, I would expect a little bit of a bounce back from Penn State, but Ohio State always has their number, so um, they're see, more talented. So let's yeah. see what just as a is a comp. Let's see what Notre Dame does at Georgia Tech. Um, and then you mentioned the the Ohio State Penn State game. I do think it'll be interesting to see how Penn State bounces back from that, and if they're able to give Ohio State a, a game. And then I'm not sure if that's going to tell us more that Ohio State's flawed or that Penn State just had a fluke of first game or a little combination or both, but. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that game is, is played close or if Penn State can actually pull off the victory. Yeah, I want to talk about a troubling trend for this year, guys. Uh, the Pac-12 is going to start in about two or three weeks here. Who cares? I heard there's not going to be any late night games in the Pac-12 this year. I have not once uh, has football ended this college football season at about eight or nine o'clock our time and been like, damn, I wish there was another football game on right now. Cause See, ben, we got to introduce you to the world of gambling. 
So they're going to have their games during the day. Now that might be something that sounds like they're, they're using science to inform their decisions. I could be wrong. They might just have a weird rule. Well, no, Cody, they're doing it for ratings. They're doing it for attention on the East coast. They're not doing it for protocols, at least to my knowledge. Well, like it's still scientific. <laughs> there is financial some, science. There is no, there's some science based behind that. It's the science of TV ratings and exposure. Yeah, it's fair. Um, well, another week of football, no complaints, even if there aren't any, you know, major matchups, it, that's just the type of week that can tend to rise up and see a lot of upsets happening. So, yep. um, hopefully look forward to that one. Exactly. And then finally we'll get into Notre Dame week. Um, so, you know, don't want to look past BC. That's going to be an important game and an important kind of rebuilding game for this team, um, to get back on solid footing ahead of a tough matchup. So, um, that'll be exciting. Nobody loves a noon game, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll get through that. We'll be back in a week to recap that game and then to preview the Notre Dame game. Um, and yeah, we're, we're past the halfway point here, guys. So this season's flying by, obviously we're hopeful for, you know, a very deep playoff run this year, but, uh, gotta appreciate this football while it's happening. So two little stats here to round us out. Clemson has now won each of its first six games of a season by 18 points or more for the first time in school history. And we've now opened the season with six consecutive games scoring 37 points or more for the first time in school history. So something is working. As bad as it may seem after a game like this. Yeah, all good. No complaints. Also, yes, Tigers for Tatas is phenomenal. I did not realize that was the name of the, the charity organization. Mm. All right. Well, uh, thanks for thanks everyone for tuning in, sticking with us. Um, you know where to find us on social media. Please do a review. Please tell some friends. We look forward to connecting with you all next week to recap BC. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, go Tigers. Mm-hmm.